Okay. So we're doing now Monday's portion of Parsha's Truma, which begins in the Book of Course of Shmos of Exodus. We are in Chapter 25. We're up to, up to Verse 17. We'll probably not do the entire section today. Now, what's interesting here, we're looking at the first vessel that we're discussing here. The first one of the vessels of the temple is the ark itself, because the ark contained the Torah, and Torah is God's light. And just as the first creation was light, the first vessel that we discuss is the vessel containing the light, the ark. So on Sunday, we discussed the boxes of the ark. If you remember, there were three boxes, gold, within wood, within gold. Now we're talking about the lid over these boxes. So you should make a lid of pure gold, two and a half amas its length, and an amma and a half its width, which is the exact dimensions of the box. So the lid sat exactly on the box, two and a half amas its length, and amma was like a foot and a half. So we're talking here about two and a half times a foot and a half of its length, and we're talking about, in terms of the width, one and a half times the foot and a half for its, its width. So Rashi comments on this, the lid is the covering, because, again, as we learned yesterday, the, the, the aron was open on the top, and the lid is on it, completely covering it without any, like, extra space, no extra lip, because the length was the length of the arc, and the width was the width of the arc. And it rested on the thickness of the four walls of the ark. Now, we don't know the Torah isn't telling us the thickness of the lid, but the sages say that it was a tefach. A tefach is about three to four inches. So it's three to four inches thick of this pure gold. You should make two keruvim, truvim, of gold. Beat until you make them from both ends of the lid. Rashi explains the keruvim, the cherubim, were like the image of a child's face, which actually, this word keruv is like the Aramaic karavi, karavia, which is ki, like ravia, a child, so like a child. So it was a child's face, Rashi says. And it says you should make it beaten. And what Rashi explains that means is not like you make these two childlike images separately and then attach them to the lid, sort of soldier them onto the lid, but initially put a lot of gold when you're making the lid that from the gold you can actually fashion out these two protrusions on the two ends with these childlike figures. That's very interesting, of course, because we're not allowed survivals, <laughs> and therefore we can't make any graven images. And yet in the tabernacle and temple itself, in the Holy of Holies, we have this very, very significant uh, figure, which can only be in the tabernacle and in the temple. It wasn't anyway, of course, served as an idol, but it actually was a tremendous expression in a very mystical way of God's relationship to the Jewish people. As it says, the closer God was feeling to the Jews, the more the Kruvim were looking at each other, and when there was, God forbid, the Jews turning their back on God, the Kruvim also turned their back which is very interesting. It says in the Talmud that when the temple was burning and they, the, the Romans came in to desecrate the Holy of Holies, 
They see the crew of him in an intimate, intimate embrace. Of course, expressing this idea that as 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 the the building is burning, this is really an expression of God's love of the Jews. Instead of destroying the Jews, the building is burning instead. So Raj explained here the word miksha beaten that it was beaten out from the lid instead of made separately and attached, which is very similar to what we're going to discuss when we have the idea of the menorah of the candelabra. And then Rashi, the next Rashi explains that miksha beaten actually is a root word of it. We see in another verse, nakshun, which means knocked. So we're beating them, we're knocking them out of this gold, fashioning it from the gold of the lid itself, at the ends of the lid, which Rashi clarifies. It sounds like he's saying the same thing, but he's actually clarifying something very specific. He says, make it the ends of the lid, meaning we could have understood the word kitsos, the Hebrew kitsos, which means the edge of the lid. So we could think that the kruvim would be rising from the sides of the lid. Rashi says, no, on the ends of the lid, meaning from the upper surface of the lid itself, the ends of the top of the lid, that's where you make these Keruvim images. The next verse. You should make one crew from this end and one crew from this end. From the lid shall you make the Keruvim at its two ends. So we could say, well, that sounds sort of redundant because I think I know this by now. Rashi clarifies that, no, 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 this verse is coming to clarify something because based on the previous verse, when we're talking about making two Keruvim from the both ends of the lid, I could think on each end I make two Keruvim, meaning a total of four. So therefore, this Rashi is clarifying that this verse is clarifying that we're not talking about four, two on each end. We're talking about a total of two, one on each end. And then again, from this specificity of word, from the the lid, from the kaporis, from the lid, which again is that we're making the kruvim literally from the gold of the lid, not making it separately and then attaching it. The next verse, we're up to verse 20. The kruvim should be with wings spread upward, sheltering the lid with their wings, with their faces toward one another. Toward the lid shall be the faces of the kruvim. So we have here is, again, this is, of course, where we're building it initially, we're carving out initially in this vision of the, the love of the Jews and God together. And the kruvim were... Ten tefachim. Remember, we said a tefach is three to four inches. So we're talking about some 35 inches high. It was ten tefachim from the top of the lid to the top of their heads. And again, ten tefachim from the top of the lid to the underside of their wings were these some 35 inch high kruvim. 40 inch, you know, depending on how you say the measurement of a, of a tefach. Perhaps even 40 inches high. So it says that you're making the kruvim with the wings spread upward. So Rashi is saying that's exactly how we're supposed to carve them out. Not with their wings lying down, but spread and high next to their heads. And that's how we have that the space between the wings and the lid is ten tefachim, as is the height of the kruvim. The next verse, 21. You should place the lid on the aron, on the ark from above, and into the aron you should put the testimony that I shall give you. Now, again, we could say this verse sounds repetitive because we already know that we're putting into this ark the testimony, meaning the tablets. So what is this adding? 
So Rashi says what it's adding is we could think that we were thinking that we would first put in, make our ark, make the three boxes, then put in the tablets, and then put on the lid. So here we're saying, I'm sorry, just one second. I'm not sure I'm going to say the right thing. <laughs> right. What we're thinking, we're, this, this is clarifying the order of exactly the precision of when the tablet is put into the ark. That we cannot first put on the lid and then raise the lid and put in the tablets. No. We have to do it in a very specific order. First, we make the boxes. Then we put in the tablets, the, the testimony, the luchos, and only then over that we put the covering. So we can't put the covering that we've just been discussing with the kruvim on it and then like raise it and put in the tablets. You have to first put in the tablets and only then cover it with this cover with this kruvim. Next verse, 22. It is there that I shall arrange audience with you. And I shall speak with you from atop the lid between the two kruvim that are on the arun, the ark of the testimony, and it is all that I shall command you pertaining to the children of Israel. So Rashi clarifies, because if you look at the verse, it seems to be saying that to um, arrange the audience between God and Moshe and Moses, it would be specifically in that spot of the ark. So Rashi clarifies that's not what it means. It means when I'm going to fix the time to speak to you, this is the place. So it's not that in this place is when we, you know, arrange our appointment calendar. At any point, anywhere, God could call to Moses, but where he went to speak to him was in this space, this place, place of Torah, place of the tablets. From here came out the voice of God. And I'm going to speak to you from atop the lid. Now here Rashi clarifies something that he actually explains and I believe at least two other Rashis. One for short, I believe one other as well. Because it's seemingly there's a discrepancy between two verses. Because in our verse here, in chapter 25, we just did verse 22, it says clearly, I'm going to speak to you from atop the lid. But if you look in Leviticus, actually, first verse of the first chapter, it says, and God spoke to him from the tent of meeting. Now, the tent of meeting is a tabernacle not right here by the ark, but outside the Holy of Holies. The ark is behind the prochus, the veil, separating the holy from the holy of holies. So where did God speak to him? Did he speak to him from the more common general area of the tent of meeting, of the tabernacle? Or did he speak to him literally from the ark, from what we would call the holy of holies? So it, it seems like a contradiction. But then we have a third verse that clarifies as is one of the teachings of how we learn Torah, when we have two verses that contradict each other, there's going to be a third to resolve the conflict. This third verse is in numbers. So we have first our verse in Exodus. We're here. And then we go to Leviticus for the conflict, and then we go to Numbers, chapter 7, verse 89, for the resolution. Because what does it say there in Numbers? And when Moses, when Moshe would come to the tent of meeting, to the tabernacle, he would hear the voice communicating with him from above the lid of the ark. So it's all true. Moses enters the tabernacle, and, and as he comes into the entrance of the tabernacle, the voice comes from heaven to 
between the Keruvim, and from there it goes, and it's heard by Moses in the tent of meeting. So everybody's correct. All three verses are true. Did the voice speak to Moses from the ark, from between the Keruvim? Yes. Did Moses hear from the entrance of the tent of meeting? Yes. Both happened. Moses enters into the tabernacle, to the Ohel Moed, the tent of meeting, and as soon as he enters, that's when God starts talking. The voice is coming from the ark, from the lid, from between the Keruvim. But Moses hears that he doesn't go into this area. He doesn't go into such a sacred area. He could be in the opening area, but he's going to hear the voice coming from that spot. <clears throat> next verse, 23. 23, we're now talking about the next holy vessel of the temple. So we have the ark, and we have The next one that we're going to talk about is the table called the shulchan. So you shall make a table, a shulchan, of sheet and wood, two amas its length. Remember, an amas is a foot and a half, so we're talking here about like three feet. Two amas its length, and an am its width, and an am and a half its height. And remember, each ama is like a foot and a half. Now, when it says its height, Rashi clarifies the height we're talking about here is the height of the legs with the thickness of what we call the tabletop. Now, we're going to clarify that because there's two tops here. There's a tabletop and there's a frame, and there's a bit of a conflict among the sages on exactly how this table was constructed, as Rashi is going to tell us this conflict. So the thickness here, we're following the opinion that the tabletop is below the frame, is the legs plus the tabletop. And this is clarifying because we could have thought the thickness maybe was the thickness of the tabletop. There's various things we could have thought. So Rashi says it's the legs plus the tabletop. Verse 24, you shall cover it with pure gold and you shall make for it a golden crown all around. Now this golden crown, a crown, of course, Rashi says is a symbol of the royal crown, because the table is expressing wealth, is expressing greatness, like this, this beautiful table was referred to in the verse as the table of the kings. Verse 25. You shall make for it a frame of one tefach. Remember, the tefach is at three to four inches all around. And you shall make a golden crown for its frame all around. So here's where we have the conflict. Because we have a tabletop and we have a frame. And then we have this golden crown all around. And it's a little bit confusing where goes what. <laughs> so according to one version... There's the legs, then the tabletop, then the frame. According to the other, there's the frame, and then the tabletop. In other words, which, which is going over which? And then where's the crown? So, if we're viewing it that the frame is below the tabletop, and we're saying here, the frame, on the frame is this crown. So the gold plating of the frame is going upward, it's projecting upward above the tabletop. 
and that crown is being fashioned from that projection. So even though the gold of the crown is on the frame, which is below the tabletop, it still extends and covers even past the tabletop. So when you were looking at it from the outside, you meaning you know, if you got into the temple proper or the tabernacle proper, which you wouldn't, but if you did, nowadays we can, right? When Mashiach comes, the Rebbe says, all of us will be able to enter in at any time we want, all the way into the Holy of Holies. So we'll definitely be able to see the table. So when we're looking at the table, we're not going to see where's the frame and where's the tabletop, because those are both wood, and they're covered by this gold completely. So from our bare eyes, we can't see which is table and which is frame. But there were these two separate pieces of wood. And even if the frame is on the bottom and the frame is creating the gold of the crown, Rashi says it doesn't make a difference because the gold of the frame is going past the tabletop to create this crown-like, you know, edged rim all around. Now, there are other views, because here we, we see twice it speaks about this crown, that says there were actually two crowns, like a crown for the frame and a crown for the tabletop. But Rashi is not accepting this view. Rashi is saying, no, it says crown twice and it means one crown. Rashi says, this is the crown that mentioned above in the preceding verse. It is one crown. It was on the frame, but it's still, even though the frame potentially could have been under the tabletop, it doesn't make a difference because the gold projected past the tabletop to form this crown. 